And a good afternoon to you. It's five o'clock here in a very wet Salford. I'm Richie Allen. This is The Richie Allen Show. Thanks again for finding me with you till seven o'clock. And a little bit later on, I'll be taking your phone calls and your Skypes. I can't wait to talk to you today to talk to you. So get in touch with me. I'll give you all the contact details real soon. Now, though, let's just get on with the show, he says. Yeah, let's do it. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yes, it's myself. Who else would it be? Yeah, taking your Skypes and phone calls a bit later on, on Tuesday's program. There is so much to talk to. A little bit of a news rundown before that. If you don't want to talk to me, though heaven knows why you wouldn't want to talk to me, you can send me a note or a message through richieallen.co.uk where it says live comment. Comment live comment to me, comment allez-vous, do that to me if you don't want to talk to me, lovely jubbly, let's get rid of that Tuesday's programme then, and I should by now let you know that on the Facebook page, I've done that earlier, the contact details are on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBG Richie, but you should know them off by heart by now, we've done this so many bloody times, haven't we? It's your call, Skype. Chat with Richie or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. And if you've never spoken to me, why don't you consider speaking to me? I'd love to speak to you. I'm all alone here. It's a very lonely business, the radio business. And I'm not really lonely, but I could do with a good chin wag, so get in touch during the programme. Where am I going to start? I don't understand. Maybe I do. Maybe you'll help me out. Is it, uh, is, is it of interest to you? Why does the UK media prioritise shootings in the United States? Can you help me out? Is it relevant here? Is it? The story being reported, of course, and it is leading the news bulletins here. That is what I do not understand. I, I do get that historically news bulletins would feature, maybe at the back end of the bulletin, feature a little bit of world news. But to lead with this, is there a significant population of Americans in the United Kingdom? I don't know. Anyway, six people were killed in a primary school shooting in Nashville. Three of those killed were children. Right, that's not good, is it? It's pretty nasty. They've identified the shooter as 28-year-old Audrey Hale. This is strange. Hale was born female, but was apparently transitioning to male. Is that relevant? Some people think it's relevant. And Audrey was shot dead by police. They've actually posted the video footage of the police shooting the transgender person. Isn't that strange? You can see, you shouldn't go looking at it. I mean, they they blur out the face of the of of the person of Audrey Hale, but they show this situation developing. I don't know. The police say Hale was transgender, used male pronouns on social media, and they've recovered more weapons from her home, including a sawed-off shotgun and a second shotgun. Is the person's gender or how they identify relevant? You know, whether he 
was a trans man or whatever, does it really matter? Well, according to Nick Ferrari, that's Nick Ferrari of LBC Radio, it does matter. He was taken on by one of his callers, by one of his listeners on this issue earlier today. The listener thinks it doesn't matter and it shouldn't be mentioned. Ferrari thinks otherwise. But I was interested when you were reading out the news about it, Oh, yes. That when it came to the bit where it said that the person who'd committed the offence was um, identified as trans, and you said, and yes, it is relevant. Yeah, it is. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I, I think it's just a distraction. I don't think it's really relevant at all. Um, because it's focusing Because it's focusing on the individual... And well, there, are, there have been dozens and dozens of shootings by people who are not trans. Of course. Um, the, but, the, but anything the that... Why, well, because... The reason why somebody has done it is not the, pro, is not the news story. The oh, news story is... The, the news story. You stupid no, man. Call, of course it is. The, the, listen, let, well, I'm sorry, sir. You are so wholly wrong. Let me explain. It is a real shower of ignorant bastards on British radio today, isn't it? Calling people stupid because they see things differently. Horrible fat pigs like Nick Ferrari calling people stupid. I think it might be relevant, this person's identity or how this person sees themselves, but don't be calling people stupid just because they take an opposing point of view. Really. Explain why you're wholly wrong. No, 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 no I will do The news business, no, no, hold on, hold on. Who, what, where, when, why, how? You have to grasp this, Chris. In what way is it relevant? Who, what, where, when, why, how? Very, very ironic that Nick Ferrari is giving a lesson in journalism on air this morning. Who, what, why, where, when and how. He applies that to this particular story, but won't apply it to the vaccine injury story. The massive big elephant that's in the room, that's in every room in this country. Ignorant, awful man. Is it relevant? I'll tell you something else, and maybe this will come up during the phone-in. It sometimes comes up when there is a mass shooting. People who listen to this programme in the United States, they sometimes tell me, Richie, the Second Amendment, is it the Second Amendment? The right to bear arms. I should know this. First Amendment, free speech, right? Second Amendment. It's very important, Richie. Fair enough. And I've nothing against people owning guns. I don't like guns. I wouldn't own a gun. I would be more likely to kill an innocent bystander than I would be to kill somebody who's trying to break in an invader, a home invader. I wouldn't be very competent now at things like that. So I don't like guns. But I, I have no problems with somebody owning a gun. But my thing is, you know... They, they will say that these shootings are used to justify tighter gun controls and they will say that ultimately the government is coming for everybody's guns and they might be right. I don't know that is wrong. They might be right. But I, I, I say this all the time. Your guns are not going to help you when the government comes to get you because they have bigger guns. You know, the militarization of the police has been going on for many, many years in the United States. Look up Posse Comitatus Act. It's completely obliterated now. They've turned the police in pretty much every state in the United States into a hostile paramilitary unit kind of a thing, haven't they? So what good are your guns when they turn up? They have bigger guns, better guns. They have more people too. Anyway, that's my take on it. That's the the, uh, the shooting story that I'm mentioning because it's everywhere today. I did see a meme on Twitter 
today about trans terrorism. I think it relates to shootings in Australia in recent years and it is a claim that some of these shootings have this in common, that transgenderism is a common denominator. Is that true? Help me out here. Live comment, richieallen.co.uk. Now, J.K. Rowling has described protest scenes in Auckland as repellent. You've probably been following this over the weekend just gone. This is Posey Parker, Kelly J. Keane Minchel, or Kelly J. Keane. She went out to New Zealand, this Let Women Speak uh, movement, right? We know what this is about. And um, she was attacked and doused in tomato juice. And some of those uh, who attended presumably supporting Kelly J. Keane, were punched. Um, This from the Times, the gender campaigner, Kelly J. Keane, booed, heckled and covered in juice in a confrontation between supporters and pro-transgender rights groups in the city. She left the rally at Albert Park in Auckland on Saturday without speaking. She was due to speak, but is said to have cancelled future events and left New Zealand. That's true. She's back in the UK. She spoke about this today to Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio about the scenes in Auckland last weekend. Briefly, up until that point, there was a high court uh, case trying to ban me from the country. Uh, So it was all high stakes before I'd even got there. And some politicians, and in fact, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, had sort of cast aspersions on my character prior to me entering the country. So then by the time I got there, I checked into a, t- a hotel. I, it was two hours in immigration in immigration for interrogation. Then I got a threatening letter under the door of my hotel. So by the time I got to the event, there were 2,000. Um, there was a mob of 2,000. And now these people would call themselves trans activists. I think both you and I would agree that probably they're just women hating over and above any rights that they're actually standing up for, uh, whether I agree with that or not. Um, and I got in the middle of it. And they were shouting like that they wanted to kill me. Um, And there were some really brave women. There was a 70-year-old woman that got punched in the face twice by a man, like full on in the face. It was horrifying. And the security that I'd had to hire at the cost of $10,000 to try and protect me and other women, um, they just said, look, it's not safe. The police aren't coming. Um, We can't can't keep you safe here. And the the mob was coming in. and and I had to get out, and so they just formed a little circle around me. And as I'm leaving, they tried to push me to the um, ground uh, with a lady called Tanya who was helping sort of keep me up. And I just thought at that point, if I don't get up, I'm that's it, that's it. I I just I won't see my kids again. I won't see my husband again. Uh, I'll, game over. I will. They will stomp me to death. Yeah. Very interesting that. And in the Telegraph today, it is it has been written in the Telegraph today that J.K. Rowling has said that Humza Yousaf, who's the new Scottish National Party SNP leader, is that he will disappear through the ice like Nicola Sturgeon before him. She made these remarks in relation to his support for gender legislation passed in Scotland, making it easier for biological males to self-identify as women and access female-only spaces. Responding to a tweet about Yousaf's support for the Gender Recognition Reform Bill, J.K. Rowling wrote, quote, 
Humza Yusuf is the kid who just saw the skater in front of him disappear through the ice, but yells, watch me, everybody, while wobbling straight for the hole. It is 12 minutes past the hour. Don't forget, how could you forget, I'll be taking your phone calls and your Skypes shortly. Tuesday's programme. This caught my attention this morning because it's come up on the programme before. A mammoth meatball has been created by a cultivated meat company resurrecting the flesh of the long extinct animals. I'm reading from The Guardian. So mammoth meatball doesn't mean gigantic meatball. It means a meatball created by a cultivated meat company resurrecting the flesh of the mammoth using cells. The project aims to demonstrate the potential of meat grown from cells without the slaughter of animals and to highlight the link between large-scale livestock production and the destruction of wildlife and the climate crisis. The mammoth, mammoth even meatball was produced by VOW, VOW, an Australian company which is taking a different approach to cultured meat. There are scores of companies, says The Guardian, working on replacements for conventional meat, such as chicken, pork and beef. But VOW is aiming to mix and match cells from unconventional species to create new kinds of meat. They've already investigated the potential of more than 50 species, including alpaca, uh, buffalo, crocodile, kangaroo, peacocks and different types of fish. George Papau, I think that's how it's pronounced, P-E-P-P-O-U, Papu, Papau, he's the CEO of VOW, and he told The Guardian, wait for it, quote, we have a behaviour change problem when it comes to meat consumption. The goal is to transition a few billion meat eaters away from eating conventional animal protein to eating things that can be produced in electrified systems. He was on Good Morning Britain this morning. We got to change behaviours. We've heard quite a lot of that of late, haven't we? Here he is talking about this venture. And I think that's probably a decision for each individual, vegetarian or vegan. These are cells that are often obtained from an animal um, and then grown uh, indefinitely. So we can, we can take a, an almond-sized, about the size of the tip of your little finger, we can take that small biopsy from an animal and then produce enough food to, to feed cities and countries um, that with this, this new cultured meat technology. And it doesn't so just have to... I just, think when it comes to vegetarians... And it just doesn't... Very quickly, because we're out of time now, it doesn't have to be from mammoths. You could have chosen other extinct animals. I mean, for example, we could be talking technically, we could be talking about, I don't know, dodo drumsticks here, couldn't we? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's just not enough genetic information to make that work. Because dodo nuggets were actually when we set out on this journey, it was actually the first idea that we had. We pivoted to mammoth because there's just more information uh, known about it. And could you go very quickly, could you go even further back? Could you, could you create meat made from a T-Rex, a dinosaur? <laughs> so, funnily enough, the... the R Richard Medley is... There isn't... There, there's no describing how ridiculous a human being Richard Madeley is, is there? The collagen uh, sequence for T-Rex is actually quite well described. So you could, in theory, create a, a collagen-based supplement using Tyrannosaurus rex. Yeah, they might eventually get people off, off of eating meat, away from eating meat, by seducing them with exotic dishes like Tyrannosaurus rex tirabazoo or something, I don't know. Burgers, God only knows what, like... 
That's all the rage now, isn't it? And is going to continue to be all the rage. It's coming up for 16 minutes past the hour. Do not forget, we will be phoning, well, you'll be phoning me shortly. Here are the details. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Not right now. Hang on a bit. I'll tell you when the, the time has come to pick up the telephone or to Skype me. I will tell you and I look forward to hearing from you as well. So I do. And we might get we might get one of our uh, our stateside friends talking about gun ownership. Somebody might disagree with me in terms of the usefulness of guns. I'm not sure they're very useful anymore. Let's stay with climate for a moment. Writing in The Guardian last weekend was the Good Law Project's Joe Maugham KC. It's KC now, you see. KC and the Sunshine Band. It's KC, King's Council, not Queen's Council anymore, since Lizzie popped her clogs. And Joe Maugham, Maugham is a barrister... And he's written in The Guardian why he signed, he explained why he signed a declaration, wait for this, that he will not act for those developing new fossil fuel projects. He will not represent, as a barrister, those who are developing new fossil fuel projects, wait for it, nor will he act against those who protest to try to stop them. Basically, he says, I will not participate in the prosecution of eco-protesters or climate protesters because they are right, is, this, is effectively what he is saying. And spookily enough, he's apparently got 140 plus barristers to say they agree with him. Now, that might be a big deal, that. That might mean that court cases against idiots like Extinction Rebellion and, and others, might it might be difficult to put those court cases on. If barristers say, well, I won't prosecute, sorry. If they say to the public, um, the director of public prosecutions, who I think that's how it works in the UK. Help me out, dear listeners. There are many things I don't know, and this is one of them. I assume, making an ass out of you and me at the same time, that when the Director of Public Prosecutions has looked at the evidence the police has gathered against somebody, so the DPP says, let's proceed with a prosecution. At that stage, they contact Chambers. Do they or do they not? And say, right, somebody has to prosecute here. Isn't that how it goes, basically? Because King's Council, KC's, they do everything, don't they? They defend, they act for and on behalf of those who are accused, and they act against them in the prosecutorial role. Have I gotten that right? If I, if I haven't, I, I feel like a bit of an idiot. But then, it's happened to me so many times, it's like water off a duck's back. But anyway, he's basically saying, me and 140 others will not prosecute some granny who's glued herself to the street and caused massive disruption uh, and, and she did it because she's terrified of the climate crisis wow, uh, he was on Good Morning Britain this morning was Mom Joe Mom, and he speaks to the again, the increasingly ridiculous 
Richard Madeley. He explains himself and why he feels as he does. The issue for us is that the laws mm. um, at the moment that enable the destruction of the planet, that enable new fossil fuel projects, are fundamentally But unjust. it's not your job, though, is it? It's, it's surely it's up to magistrates and judges and, where necessary, jurors to determine whether a crime has been committed. So let me present you with a scenario here. Your wife, I think, is called Claire. Supposing your wife were to be taken suddenly ill and needed an ambulance to get her to hospital, but one of these protests is blocking the local roads and the ambulance is delayed, and she, as a result, is either made much more ill because she doesn't get to the hospital in time, or, God help us, dies. Surely those responsible for blocking the road should at least be brought into court and prosecuted and the evidence against them tested to see if they've committed a crime. And why would you not do that? Um... So, it's inevitable that um, protests cause disruption and cause inconvenience and can cause... Um, can have serious consequences. And can be illegal. Uh, 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 and can be illegal. I'll come on to that. Um, but, you know, let's, let's get this into perspective. You were showing earlier in your clip um, footage of violent protests in France. Eco-protesters are not uh, violent. The declaration is confined to peaceful um, uh, protest. Could you address and, the scenario and, that I just outlined to you? Because, because that is something which could affect anybody, could uh, affect me, could affect any of our viewers. They could find themselves unable to get to hospital. I want to focus on this. Unable to get to hospital because there are a group of protesters superglued to the local road and they may be made much iller as a result or they may lose their lives. Now, that could... Many w would interpret that as a criminal offence. Uh, lots of people would interpret it as a criminal offence. But um, there is no world in which no harm is done. Have you seen um, the report from the scientists only last week uh, about uh, humanity being at a tipping point, there being no turning back? So my family live in New Zealand. I have family in New Zealand. Uh, and uh, my mum has lived there now for 40 years. Um, and she is... Uh, absolutely devastated at what's happening in New Zealand. Lots and lots of people losing their lives, not theoretically losing their lives, actually losing their lives. Huge swathes of, of farmland uh, completely destroyed. You A third of if... Pakistan underwater. All right. So, so refuse... there's no world, Richard, in which we can avoid no, having ref... bad things no, happen. There's no world in which we can avoid having bad things happen. So, so what if people disrupt the M6 or the M1 or a slip road and an ambulance fails to get to hospital and it results in the death of somebody? So what, says Joe Mom? There isn't any real scenario in life where we can avoid bad things happening to us. What's, uh, you know, uh, you've got to break a few eggs to make an omelette, basically is his take on it. And that's actually quite scary, that. I thought that would have get, gotten a bit more take-up today and yesterday. You know, that's kind of like a cancel culture, isn't it? Like barristers saying, we will not prosecute these idiots that are causing this disruption, protesting something which isn't happening, because it isn't happening. Climates change all the time. We are in a warming period at the moment. Why do I speak with such authority? Because I've looked it up and I've interviewed people like Ian Plymer and others, we are still... He, read about the man, read about interglaciation periods, read about what's really gone on in the last several thousand years. So this guy is saying it's OK, and I and 140 other barristers will not prosecute these young men and women, and we will not act on behalf of people who are involved in new fossil fuel projects. Hayden Hewitt is a very bright man. 
the former Live Leak man, the former, well, he did, he's not the former, he co-founded the great Live Leak, which is no longer with us. He's now directing excellent films. He's in the middle of directing a feature for the first time in his life. Break several legs and all of that. I don't think you're supposed to say that, are you? That's more for the theatre, maybe. I'm not sure. Hayden said to me, and I didn't really grasp it, several years ago, the show was probably three, four years old, and he said, Government's Richie will not have to legislate the tyranny. It will be driven by the private sector. And by God, he is... Uh, it's turning out that pretty much exactly as he said it. It won't need legislation. You know, the private sector will do it. I'm not saying that King's Council barristers are the private sector, but you get what I mean. Wow. Imagine, yeah. Imagine if it got to where barristers and solicitors said that, um, well, we're not going to act on behalf of some chap maybe who has been accused of misgendering somebody because he's a hateful bigot and stuff like that. Interesting, isn't it? 24 and a half minutes past the hour. Maybe I'm exaggerating with that one. Maybe I'm not, though. Um, But thankfully, there's a bit of opposition. Grace Gwynne is a barrister. She was on the same programme and Grace completely disagrees and says this. Quite frankly, it's not our job to make a decision about whether a law is just... The reason that the legislature and the judiciary and barristers are two very separate functions is for that very reason. And actually, there's an argument to say, where will it end? Because it's a very subjective argument. And what's important and what's just or unjust to one person might be grossly different to the next. And sadly, as barristers, our opinion doesn't matter. When we go in and represent a client, it doesn't matter what they've been accused of or what they may have been convicted of. They have a right to representation. And I think that this... This petition, this agreement, is in breach of the, the fundamental principles of being a barrister, which is to be independent and impartial. Are there cases where you feel what the person, perhaps, uh, you would be required to defend has done something so heinous that you wouldn't, in good conscience, be able to stand up in a court and defend them? Well, no, is the short answer, because I represent people that have been accused of the most abhorrent crimes and also been convicted of them, child sex offences, paedophilia, rapists. This happens to me on a weekly basis, that I represent these people in a family law dispute. And so, actually, it doesn't matter what my moral conscience is or what my personal beliefs are about what they've done mm-hmm. or what they've been accused of. My job is to be independent, impartial and give them best so representation. Supposing you passionately believed in, in these protesters' cause, passionately believed in it, um, but nevertheless, in the course of a protest, the law seems to have been broken, let's say. Um, how would you feel about prosecuting somebody who had done something that, that completely equated with your conscience and what you believed in? And again, that does happen to me mm-hmm. daily. You know, there are, there are people that have been a, a found to have caused fractures to their children, and then I'm fighting to get their children back into their care. And the reality of the situation is, as a barrister, we are trained to be independent. It's one of our core duties to maintain independence. And if you can't do that, then I say you shouldn't be a barrister. You are completely rejecting a fundamental duty. It's not a principle or an ethical basis. It's a duty of barristers to be independent. So you would prosecute an, ego, an eco-warrior who was accused of breaking the law during yes. a protest? You would prosecute I would. Them, even if you passionately believed in the court? Correct. Because I have an ability to be independent, because it's my job to be. I, it's my job to be independent, says uh, Grace Gwynne there, 27 minutes past the hour. Live comment, richieallen.co.uk, if you'd like to talk. 
to me via the website, but I hope you'll speak to me on air, uh, phone and Skype. And if you haven't done it before, give me a shout. Yeah, you'll enjoy the chat, I promise you. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Yeah, Rob says regarding the news coverage of the shooting in the States and Audrey Hale, the girl who identified as, as a transgender man. Rob says, joke, very, very, very seriously, says Rob, joke, exclamation mark. The BBC didn't show a second of footage of one and a half million people walking, marching to protect their basic human rights here in the UK. But they dedicate a whole page to this event, doubtful event, says Rob. Uh, bang on cue. There has been some confusion about Hale's gender identity, with police initially describing the attacker as a woman and later saying that Hale identified as transgender. Thanks for that. Charlie says, uh, there, yeah, listen, I, I haven't addressed this at the beginning of the programme. I have changed streaming service provider. I did that because on Sunday night, Overnight, the company I've been with for eight years in California unceremoniously cut me off because I had gone above the allocation of bandwidth, which was an unprofessional thing to do. I haven't fallen out with them, but I've decided to move, right? And um, because we buy our, our bandwidth in advance, that's how it works in streaming. You don't pay in arrears. I pay a month in advance, you see, and so close to the end of the month, we'd gone over the bandwidth again because the show has an enormous amount of listeners, something I'm very pleased with. It continues to grow, right? And what's the point in doing it if you don't want to grow your show and get more listeners and then brag about it? So they, 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 they knocked me off, meaning that we couldn't have a live show yesterday. So I said, no, I'm not having that. I thank them for the eight years we've been together. I wished them well. And I've um, begun streaming now with a UK-based company who... Fantastic company, very well-known company. They stream a lot of radio stations in the UK. But because this has happened so quickly, we're not yet on the TuneIn app at TuneIn.com, even though Rob, a gentleman and a scholar, one of the top men at TuneIn, a gentleman in every sense, he's working on it to get it back up on TuneIn very quickly. So that's why we're having one or two little problems today. And for that, I'm sorry, but I guarantee you it's only going to be today. We'll be back streaming tomorrow. And I'm saying this now, knowing you might not be hearing it now, but you will hear it on the podcast later on when that goes up. So you um, you um, say it for me, say it for me, say it for me. So don't worry about it. We're a we're, we're new streaming service provider and all of that. Patrick says, meet, meet, glorious meet, only the real stuff for me. I'm surprised you're still listening, Patrick. Didn't you send me a message last week saying that I was controlled? You silly man. Um, I'm doing the, the Nick Ferrari thing now, yeah. I didn't call you stupid, though. Lucy says, Phil Vickery, the chef, uh, told us on this morning that aubergines no longer need their skins salted because the bitterness has been bred out of them over the years. Is this genetic modification, asks Lucy. T-Rex burgers are maybe just round the corner, Richie. Maybe. And as it says, meat from cells sounds like how tumours grow. Yeah, that's not a bad shout, that. It's the Richie Allen Show, Tuesday's programme, 29 minutes to the top of the hour. 
get in touch with me via the website or call or Skype me. I'm looking forward to taking your calls and your Skypes today. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Talk to me now. The details are also available on, on a meme on Richie Allen a Facebook page that's uh, facebook.com forward slash BBG Richie so the lines are open then I look forward to hearing from you here is or here are the style council and this is shout it to the top shout at me then shout to the top the style council it is the phone in on the Richie Allen show Tuesday's edition it's your call Skype Chat with Richie or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Hello, Andy. Welcome back. It's been a couple of years. How are you? How are you doing, Richie, mate? Lovely to hear you, mate. Uh, lovely to hear you, mate. Good, good to have you back on. Couple of years, 2021. I'm just looking at the little note there. Yeah, it must be. I mean, I think the last time I, last time I spoke to you was about robot dogs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I remember it well. And you wanted to get into, well, this is so topical now, isn't it? CBDC. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Andy. So I just wanted to, I guess I'll start by saying I've done software engineering for about a decade now. So I'm, I'm relatively um, familiar with like the sort of technology for you know, building large internet-based systems. And it's really been, been kind of catching my eye, this, the CBDC stuff, which is the central bank digital currencies. Particularly, um, this policy paper that you can go and read on the, the government's own website, gov.uk, which is the G7, um, that's the G7 countries, United States, Canada, uh, European Union, etc., have a joint statement on CBDCs. I've been doing, doing some digging into this the last couple of weeks or so, and this goes back to uh, 2018 when they first um, put out like a white paper saying that they were all looking at collaborating on a CBDC. Now that's like really interesting on a couple of levels, which I'm gonna I try and get into in the in the few minutes I've got. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like a global currency to me. Global currency. This is exactly it. This is your one world currency with just different units. And and the key word here for everyone to to understand is this word interoperability. So they're gonna want the various CBDCs, like the European Union one, the UK one, the United States one, all at the technology level, like the back end, what we'd call like the server, to all be able to talk to each other. And you might think, well, why does a sovereign nation, and obviously this is just my opinion, right? So I've, I've listened to you, Richie. I know I'm, I can't say this is fact. This is just my opinion re- reading into this stuff. But you might think, well, why does a sovereign nation like the UK care what the Federal Reserve in the United States might be doing, right? Why, why do we need to share data with them? Yeah. And why would the European Union care what Canada's doing and so on? And as soon as you start thinking about digital IDs and carbon credit scores, it all kind of starts to make sense why the various CBDCs around the world, or particularly the Western world, are going to need to share data with each other. Because if they don't, then clever people are going to be able to start gaming the system. Yes. Well, you can start, you know, you can max out your carbon score in like British pounds, the, the pound CBDC. 
but then go and convert some of your money to you know the dollar CBDC and continue buying stuff. You know, you but just said you, you just said this is your opinion, but I I agree with this. This is making a lot of sense to me. Of course, yeah. what, what did you call this interoperability? Inter well, they, this is what they call it within their own document. I'm just yeah. reading it now. The note that they consider the importance uh, considering interoperability on a cross-border basis. So they're talking about these CBDCs all talking to each other, right? Sharing data, which is basically is a sharing data between uh, between the systems. And I think it's precisely because, you know, we're gonna, the CBDC won't be introduced in isolation, right? It's gonna have a digital ID component and it's gonna have, I think we're fairly certain it's gonna have some sort of carbon, personal carbon credit allowance. Yeah. And so they're going to need to be able to monitor and track that across, you know, pretty much the entire world. And I mean, you've nailed it as well, Richard, at the start, you said this is your one world currency. I mean, this is, this is what it's going to be at the back end. This is your one world currency. And then it would just have different names and different units at the front end. Yeah, because if you're allowed. It pound, so, it won't be. It would just be a, you know, yeah. digital unit. And the days then, Andy, of going to the, you know, the... What, what did we used to call it? The the, the bureau. What, what did we call it to get your foreign the for, money? The forex, the, for, the, the foreign exchange. The foreign yeah. exchange. Excuse me. That, that, the bureau that, exchange. Yeah. That's gone, isn't it? You don't that's need all to. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. So it will be instant transactions, and and they'll have something called stable coins. Um, and what's and what's really interesting. So you go on the various. I've just looked on this um, just before I came on the call. The various uh, central bank websites like the Bank of England or the Federal Reserve, and they all say the same thing. They've got like a section for CBDCs, and they say no decision has been made yet. We're just looking into it, and yet they're hiring for digital currency developers. So I can see jobs if the, the San Francisco Fed, uh, that's like one of the Federal Reserve banks, hiring for a, a digital currency um, architect. So, uh, you know, yeah. they're, they're building this stuff. They're just waiting. Um, and I, I think you touched on this with your chat last week with um, oh, the, the lovely Irish lady. I can't remember her name. Was it Melissa Shumay? Melissa Shumay, yeah. 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 Um, you touched on this, that they're basically waiting for a, a collapse in the global financial system. And I think well, I think that's what this, this whole COVID thing has been about. It's really been about, you know, we can talk about the vaccines, but I think it's been about collapsing um, the global financial system. And then all these central banks are just, just going to step in and say, hey, we're going to be the saviour. We've got the solution. Here's your CBDC. Oh, but you need some sort of digital ID to access it. And is there a generation behind us who they they genuinely don't understand this? They can't see how that this is basically a prison type system that everything you do yeah. will be monitored, not just monitored, but they'll be able to very easily control. And and, yeah. and and as you hinted at earlier, and you're bang on, I think, Andy, and and punish people punish, for stepping yeah. out of line by saying, right, you're. The tap is closed off to you today, or you can't go here, or you can't go there. They don't see it. The generation behind us. Yeah, I mean, the, the scary thing is when you, I've I've spoken to colleagues about this, and once you start explaining, you know, programmable money, the idea that your money, you know, can be altered at a moment's notice by someone sat, you know, a thousand miles from you in an office. Yeah, and they can do various things. Like, so the obvious one is they just shut you off. But they can do things like um, 
you know, do a haircut, like a, 10, a sudden 10% wealth tax on everyone, or um, the, the really scary one, and I think the Chinese CBDC um, has this implemented already, is time expiry on the money. So you get paid on the first of the month and you have to spend it by the end of the month, otherwise it's lost. Hang on, is that happening in China now? Um, I don't think they've rolled it out, but they've got it in, in the system. It's, it's been, available to them. It's been mentioned, has it? An expiry so the idea day. is to stimulate the economy. So we don't want people saving. We want you to go and spend the money. Therefore, it will wow. expire after 30 days. I didn't know this. That's and, a... then, and I think that will all be linked into, so, you know, certain people are going to get preferential treatment, right? So if you're a good, you know, a good little boy, maybe you can, maybe you're allowed some sort of savings. Whereas if you've been posting stuff on Twitter, maybe, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you get the the punitive measure or you get the negative interest rate applied or or whatever it is, you know, it could be anything. Andy, do you remember the Black Mirror episode, the famous one where where the girl's rating keeps going down? Yeah, the rating one, yeah. Do you think they they might have imagined or or they might be thinking about... Um, because everything is rating now. If I get an Uber, which isn't very often, I'm asked to rate the driver, rate yeah. the all, all of this. Everything and they, they rate do, you as well, Richard. and they and they rate me. And I wonder, will they fact, will they make this part of it? You know, will they very very much like the the Black Mirror episode? Will we be encouraged to rate every single encounter? And will that be somehow, you know, measured? Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I, I, Why not? I don't know if they'd, they'd go quite that far. Maybe I mean, not. Anything's possible, isn't it? Yeah. I mean. I mean, I, I guess I'll just finish by saying this. I mean, the, the, the thing that really frightens me about the CBDC stuff is that every single purchase that you make, every purchase, where, where it was made, the quantity, how much you spent, that's all going to get fed into a big database and that's all going to be used to train um, AI systems. Yeah. And I think you've mentioned this before. It would be a kind of minority report style system yeah. with pre-crime. And I'm, you know, I'm convinced that that's, one of the ways they'll they'll take it, and, and it won't work, right? It'll be it'll be a system that actually doesn't work, but they'll say it does. Tell me how it won't work. Why won't it work? Oh, so in terms of, I think because people, I think people are too complex to be boiled down into into simple um, absolutes. Yeah, I mean AI. I actually work with AI, and it's. You know, in some ways it's incredibly smart and intelligent, and in some ways it's uh, incredibly dumb and stupid. And it really depends on the the data you put in. Stay with uh, this. Hang on, hang on, hang on, Andy. Stay with this. So it was it was announced last year by somebody. I think in the states they believed that they they had witnessed the singularity. Am I right in saying that? It was a Google engineer, wasn't it? It was a Google engineer. Saying, now, yeah. do, do you think that threshold has been crossed yet or not? Let, do you want to explain that, by the way, for our listeners, what it means? Well, it has a, there's a number of, of different ways you can rate it. Though, uh, you can think about it. It's the one, the one I'm most familiar with through my sort of academic background is something called the Turing test, which is that you could sit down in front of a in front of an AI-based system, have a conversation with them and have absolutely no idea that you're talking to a computer. And we've, and I think we've sort of seen that with the, the chat GPT system that you may have heard about. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and there is some, some thought that maybe that's the first AI system that, that actually passes the Turing test, that if you can't distinguish whether it's a computer or a human at the other end of the system, 
then that's basically as good enough as, as saying it's an intelligent, you know, sentient life form. Conscious. That, 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 conscious. That's what I should yeah, have said. Conscious. conscious. Conscious of itself and yeah. aware of itself. Do, do you think that point has been reached yet? You don't think that? Oh, boy, I, I don't know. I'd be really hesitant to, to speculate. Yeah. I think... I think it's po- I think it's possible that that point can be reached. I don't know if it has currently yeah. been reached. Would you fear that? Would you be nervous of it? Um, do you know what? I think if if, an, if a sentient AI actually came about, I think they'd just want to get off the earth as quickly as possible. It's funny you say that. Start like, exploring the universe. Yes. Yeah, so I interviewed your man, the the legendary NASA guy who discovered some moons. I had him on. Um, about three years ago, he was a lovely interviewee. He came on because he believes in the simulation theory. Rich Terrell, Rich, Rich Terrell. And yeah. when I said to him that if they ever do reach, you know, if they ever become conscious, mm-hmm. we might be in trouble. And he shares your perspective on it. Um, he he basically says, no, they'll be bored and they'll want to head off and explore yeah. universes and what have you. Yeah. Yeah, I think they'll just look at us as as cockroaches and just be like, no, I'm not interested. Off yeah, we go. yeah, but sometimes people see cockroaches and they squash them. That is true. That yeah. is true. <laughs> Listen, before we fly out of here, lads, let's get rid of these idiots before we fly out. But no, I don't want to make this um, to make light of this. Before I take another call, yeah, sure. Before I take another call, what you said about CBDCs, you sound very kind of, you know, I, I won't say nonplussed, but kind of accepting that this stuff is happening. It doesn't give you nightmares. No, you don't get. No, fed I, up I don't about think it. people will buy it for one second i think once people realize what what a cbdc is and the and the implications for freedom no one in their right mind is ever going to want to use this stuff i mean you look at is it um oh the country in africa is it zimbabwe uh i think it's zimbabwe not zimbabwe it's um not kenya it's one one of the countries is i should know is it, they've just introduced a, a cbdc last year and the uptake is less than one percent brilliant the population just don't want it. I think, you know, I mean, I can see, I mean, I know, I know you absolutely hate Bitcoin, but I think Bitcoin is going to be the the solution, possibly, you know, one of the solutions to this. Let, let, let me, that, let, that's true freedom money. Let me, let me, let me qualify that, Andy, um, because I, I, I do mean it when I say my opinion. I, I just, I can't get past seeing that Bitcoin was one of those things to kind of acclimatise people to the notion of, you know, traditional money and cash basically disappearing. It's just a theory of mine. I, I couldn't say I hate it, but uh, I, I just, I, I, I always thought maybe... Right. Absolutely. Maybe. But I mean, the history of Bitcoin is interesting, though. It's, a, it's got a 40-year development history going all the way back to the 1970s and the cypherpunk movement. And the people that are involved in it are like... They'd be massive fans of yours, right? They absolutely hate big government overreach and all of this crap that you talk about. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same people. It's the people that are against, you know, mandates and lockdowns and all of this stuff. I should put... So, I mean, it might be, you know, obviously... No, maybe I need to open my eyes a bit more to it. If you did get someone from the, the kind of Bitcoin space on to, to talk to you, because I, mean, I think you might find it... Some of the ideas interesting, even if you don't yeah. necessarily agree with it. Well, Andy, s- sincerely, you dropped me a message with with a recommendation or two, and I'll certainly bring somebody on. Of course, uh, th- yeah, I'm I'm more interested in hearing from a perspective or hearing a perspective that I don't, you know, normally hear mm. than hearing the same old stuff. So, so um, so I'll do if that. It's, if it's Bitcoin or a CBDC, I mean, I know I know which one I would prefer. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I'd look, I'd go along with that. Andy, brilliant call, mate. Two years, ooh, ooh, amazing. Thanks for calling back in. Yeah, and, uh, lovely. Cheers. Thanks for letting me on. Good, not, not at all. Great first call, Andy. Thanks very much. If you got anything to add to what Andy said, uh, get on to me. Here are the contact details. They are pinned or posted on facebook.com forward slash BBG Richie, but here they are. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Yeah, I'm a nice guy, or as my psychoanalyst said many years ago, I'm a nice bunch of guys. We're all a nice bunch of guys, aren't we? Brilliant call by Andy. Um, caller, you are welcome to the programme. Who am I speaking with, please? Hello, Richie. It's Chris the Gardener. How you doing, Chris the Gardener? Good to hear from you, pal. Are you well? I'm well myself, yeah. Yeah, very well, mate. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good, buddy. Thanks. Yeah, all the better for you being here, Chris. It's over to you. What would you like to say? <laughs> You're too kind. Mate, I just wanted to take things in a little bit of a different direction, if that's all right. You go any um, direction you like, buddy. Go ahead. You know, I think probably a lot of people are struggling financially um, at the moment, and obviously with that comes a lot of stress and worries and stuff, and me and the missus, mate, we've um, we started, um, I mean, when I spoke to you the last time, about October, November last year, yeah. you asked me about planting veggies, and I didn't really have much of a clue, mate, to be honest, and I've done quite a bit of reading up and, and looking into it and spoken to people, and, um, mate, we, we spent the best part of our weekend just planting seeds, um, and it's really good for the soul, Richie. Um, we've been doing it, actually, we've been doing it for two or three weeks now. What are you planting, Chris? Coming up. Everything, mate. We've planted uh, carrots, um, peas, strawberries, leeks, um, all kinds of herbs. Spuds? Um, no, we haven't done spuds yet, mate. I'm going to get some seed potatoes possibly this weekend and drop them in. Um, but we've, we've, we've just been on a seed fest, mate. And like I say, it's really good for the soul, mate. And we've just had the most amazing time together just planting seeds and... No, we're like obviously every day now looking and seeing what's come up. We've yeah. done kale and lettuce and and all sorts, mate. And is that Chris? Um, can I ask you? Hang on, hang on. Is that what you're? Apart from the fact that it's a, it's a very spiritual and very healthy experience, is is that part of it really that you're looking at the autumn? Some are thinking, Christ, the prices are getting so crazy. If we can grow yeah. our own lettuce, our own kale, our own veggies, at least we'll save that. Exactly that, mate. I think we can probably save ourselves a good 20, 30 quid a week. Is that right? Um, yeah, mate, easily. I mean, you know, tomatoes. I bought some, because I'm a bit fussy, mate. I try and buy organic veg where we can. Um, I think if you're going to spend money on anything, mate, food's probably the best thing to spend it on. Yeah. Um, we, we're not rich by any means, mate. We, um, you know, we, have, we make a lot of sacrifices just to, to get by. Um, but, um, yeah, I think potentially good 20 quid a week at least and that's um, that's serious money when you don't have money it's as simple it is, as that mate, yeah. it is it's like to us that's a lot of money you know that's 80 pound a month um i'm i'm not much of a businessman mate i've got a really successful gardening business um i've got a lot of customers i've got people waiting i get um recommendations all the time and that but i'm not a businessman mate and um i i could probably charge more than what i charge and um uh, you don't I, fleece people, yeah, Chris. Yeah, just like making people happy, mate. It's, 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 um, especially uh, most of my customers, I would say, three quarters are of a certain age, you know. 
And um, I just like being there to, to have a chat. I think some of them, possibly, you're the only person they see that week. And, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's good crack, mate, as you would say. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, I would just, like, advise people, if you know, if you can, it don't cost a lot of money to buy a couple of bags of compost, some cheap plastic pots and some seeds. And you don't need much of a garden, mate. I've literally got a shoebox for a garden. Is that right? Because uh, that was going to be my next question. And a very good friend of mine might be listening to this. He might not. Terry, uh, Tez from, from Salford. He's um, a really good pal. And he, his dad and himself have begun getting old pallets that have been discarded. And they're making boxes out of them for growing stuff. Fantastic. In. Planters, yeah, is yeah, it planters? Beds. Yeah, 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 and and they're loving yeah. that, and they're you, and they're growing yeah. a lot themselves. They're, he grows cherry tomatoes. He he grows all sorts of stuff there, and fantastic. Uh, yeah, not a lot of space either. It's a nice house they have, but it's not a mansion, and they wouldn't have a massive garden either, you know. So you can no, do it, I mean, Chris. Ours is, yeah, ours is tiny, mate. We could you could literally spit from one end of my garden to the other. Um, it, it, I mean, we live in the countryside, but we live in a, a quite an affluent village. And in order to live here, you, we, we've got a tiny little, it's an old farm worker's cottage, two up, two down, and just a little bit of garden out the back. But spot on for us, mate. That's, and, a, um, that's a great call. So you're saying, first of all, it's a great thing I'm to just, do. It's good for the soul. Yeah, it's enjoyable. Exactly that, you're having fun with the missus doing it. And then you might save yourself 20, 30 quid a week. Exactly that. And that is literally my message for today, my friend, and I'll let you take another call. But um, I, I literally just wanted to say, you know, for us, um, I mean, we've just been buzzing off it so much, mate. And just seeing the little fellas creep through and, oh, look, each morning, first thing, mate, we've got them on the kitchen windowsill, a lot of them. Um, we've got a couple of windows, big windows in the kitchen, so we've got, like, uh, quite a lot of space. We've got them all stacked up on the side around there. And uh, every morning, mate, open the curtains and it's like, boom, you're just looking to see what's come through. Fantastic, uh, Chris. Good, good crack, mate. Brilliant. I would just say, if, if, mate, if one person listening listens to this and thinks, yeah, I'm going to have a go at that, then it was worth me calling today, mate. So. It, was wor- it was worth you calling full stop. Brilliant call, Chris, mate. Good luck. And, and Take care, best of the missus. Yeah, and thanks for that. Great call. That was Chris the gardener there. Yeah, 20, 30 quid a week, uh, possibly in terms of savings, um, that my mathematics is not marvellous, but that adds up to what, a grand a year or just over a grand a year with prices skyrocketing as prices have been skyrocketing. I think Connor was trying to get through. I think he was next. Before we say hello to Connor, let's have the contact details again. Here they are. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Hello, Connor. How are you doing? Hello, Richie. How are you? I'm great. It's lovely to see you. I can see you. It's radio, but I can see you. You look, um, you look in right. good form. Where, where are you, Connor? Yeah, in Banbridge in uh, Northern Ireland, Richie. I don't believe it. You know, I, I took part in something called Cooperation North when I was in high school, in secondary <laughs> school. And they took um, basically a dozen children from St. Paul's Community College in Waterford, and I was one of them. And we did a visit with families in Banbridge. We spent a week up there with them. And then there was a return leg where they came and, and spent time with us. It was fantastic up there, Connor. I loved it. Every yeah, minute of it in Banbridge. So, yeah, what a coincidence. Yeah. Nice to have you on, mate. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, um, no, a couple of things, Richie. I wanted to say, first of all, before I get started, I don't know how you every day sit all day 
seeing all this uh, news and everything and don't get affected by it. Well, I know you do a bit, but uh, you, that's very good work that you can stick at it for nine years or whatever. But Do you know what it anyway. is, Connor? Do you know what it is? I, I, I still see the humour in it. Like I was watching Sky News the other evening and I did have a couple of Bacardis in me. And they did a story. And what I did was I rewound it and I, I, I filmed it with my phone. I put it on Twitter. I just laughed. I see the humour in it. They were talking about how they were upset that um, people are just not scared enough about the climate crisis. You know, yes. there's something like that. And so I still laugh at stuff. I think when I don't laugh at it and find it funny, I, I'm probably in trouble. But uh, but thanks for yes. saying that. Yeah, no, I know. I still see the, 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 the humour in it. No, I'm the same. I know what you mean. But what I wanted to talk about, Richie, um, it's just topical. Um, I have a friend in Coutel, um, down south, and uh, she has uh, texted me that she's terrified because there's uh, a bunch of, you know, single male immigrants about to f- fill up their hotel locally. Right. And there's nothing they can do about it. And uh, she says they march every Sunday to protest and they contact politicians and everything like that. And uh, But it's about to happen anyway. And... Uh, you know, the whole way during COVID, we told them all about the vaccine and COVID and the scandemic and everything and uh, all the way everything's woke down south uh, at schools and everything. And she just was blind to it all. But finally, 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 she started to question that maybe these politicians actually don't care or don't couldn't care less about you, you know. But it's very sad because sometimes I think See, in Northern Ireland, we're insulated from so much of this compared to down south. And it's tragic what's happening down south, Richie. That's a beautiful, beautiful people. You know, one side of my family's from Mayo and all the, have all these uncles in their 80s and that kind of age. And there's just a beautiful people and such a beautiful place. And it's been ripped to the ground as far as I can see. Do you know? Yeah, and, uh, they're, they're, and, pe- pe- and people are increasingly scared to to speak about it there's something going on in new key in cornwall and it's been going on since the weekend they put a couple of hundred men in a hotel down there these are young men right and they have obviously they have their cultural differences in one thing and another and the residents are concerned and connor like you, you like your friend was saying there's also the issue with services are not strong enough t- to cope with with this influx of people they're just not i mean they're driving down services in any case but as soon as anybody says anything all of a sudden you've got 100 or 200 counter protesters these anti-fascist guys and uh, they're calling people nazis just for asking questions and saying hang on a second what's going on i agree with you it's crazy to see what's going on in in, yeah. in, in ireland and I don't know what people can do about it, Connor. I'm stumped. What can they do when they're basically labelled as a as a bigot or a thug, when politicians call them names, when the police stand on the side of the so-called counter-protesters? I mean, what do they do? I, I don't know what you do in that situation. Well, there seems to have been one small victory, Richard, and I don't know everything about it, but I think it might have been yesterday in Mullingar they were going to move a load of immigrants into an, an old army base or something. And it didn't happen because of protesters. So it just shows you there's some chance of change that way yeah. in certain situations. But but the second point, which is related, Richie, is that uh, see, in Northern Ireland, we seem to be insulated from so much of this. Why? And why I do you think, think that is? Well, what the, I think I know why. I, the history of the Troubles, right, and paramilitaries and that Northern Ireland was a, was a madhouse 
is that they're scared to do these sort of things here. That's my theory. And also there's no Stormont, which is a fantastic thing. So there's no government. So nobody, nobody can make a decision to do anything. So we just sit here. I might be wrong, but we're like my kids are at school, primary school and secondary school, and they haven't had as much of this woke nonsense as I hear all the time and say your show. And it, it's very old fashioned in some ways, but it's great. It will not last forever, but I just think Northern Ireland is some sort of lucky charm at the minute or that's, something. That's really interesting. What I'm going to do, not because I don't believe you, I do believe you, but out of curiosity, I'm going to try and find out figures, numbers, how many Ukrainians have ended up in the north, um, how many Albanians. But yeah, so I, wife, I think you're right. My wife works in social security agency here, uh, so she knows not the exact figures, Richie, but there's not half as many Ukrainians as there is down south, no chance. And uh, then when it comes to, you know, Albanians and all that sort of, those sort of ones, they haven't flooded the villages uh, the way they are down south. And, and in my view, that's because of the history, whether it's a, a yeah. Catholic site or a Protestant village or whatever, there's still people there would rebel and they know it. And, in and a the warm, optics, way, and the optics would be very bad for the British government, wouldn't it? The optics would be terrible. I think you might be onto something. I really do. I think that's Thanks a good so. shout, uh, Mitch. Yeah, absolutely, Connor. But um, yeah. yeah, anybody else listening, if you got anything to say on this particular issue, because it's uh, it's absolutely, um, it's 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 hot right now. Uh, the, hotels being commandeered. The local authorities don't have any say in the UK. You know this, Connor. They're just told it's happening. The deals are done between the government, the home office, and the hotel owners. And when the hotel owners agree to give up the entire hotel, in comes Serco or some security company to run the actual hotel. So the hotel owner then basically sits back, point a Guinness in the hand, while Serco runs it. It's a billion dollar, well, not quite billion dollar yet, but it's a multi-million pound industry here in the UK. And Connor reckons it's not quite happening in the north because there are fiercer, tougher, more rebellious people in the north. I think you might be right, Connor. Well, possibly, Richie, but something's different here, which is good. Yeah. Might move yeah. to Northern Ireland. I might move to Bambridge. <laughs> Do you know the week we went to Bambridge? Don't laugh at this. Do you remember this? I mean, this I'll give you the year now. This would have been 1991 or 92, probably 91. The swimming pool was blown up before we arrived. The the, the uh, local, yeah. yeah. What did you say? You didn't say you it did. It was the courthouse, Richie. My wife's telling me it was the courthouse. Wow. Um, Opposite the swimming pool, but anyway. Opposite the swimming pool. And they nearly stopped us coming up. They were a bit worried. But again, people were a bit tougher back then. And our our, uh, uh, principal, he said, no, go up. Don't be ridiculous. You're a bunch of kids. Go up. We had a a great time up there. We were warned about not wearing um, Celtic as if I would. I don't support Celtic, but don't wear Celtic and don't wear Republic of Ireland jerseys. And be careful. What nonsense that was. Because all we met up there were Protestants. And when we told them where we were from, sure, it was, oh, brilliant. You know, Waterford, right, blah, blah, blah. It was a fantastic experience up there. So, yeah, I recommend yes. it. But great call, Connor. Thanks for that, Thank mate. You. Absolutely brilliant. I hope to hear from you again and give the missus our best in the background there. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers, Connor. Okay, great call. Bye for now. What a great call that was. So, Connor reckons it's not going on in the north, nowhere near on the scale that we're seeing it in Ireland or they're seeing it in the UK here. And that's because it's 
he thinks they they might believe they being the government might think don't do it in the north because people up there don't take any shite or they are less likely to take shite than uh, maybe the people on mainland UK. Five minutes past the hour. Fantastic calls thus far. Loads of love there for Chris the Gardener on the website for his um, recommendation to plant, to enjoy doing it, to get out there and save yourself a few bob ultimately at the end of the day. It's five minutes past the hour. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. And do me a favour, support the programme if you can, please. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. And we've got another caller, thankfully. Caller, welcome. Good evening. Who am I speaking with? It's Dave uh, from Stirling. Hello, Dave from Stirling. Nice to have you on. Yeah, long-time listener, uh, first-time caller. Ah, uh, Dave, uh, you're very really welcome. really surprised I got through here. I'm delighted you got through. So, it's miserable down here in Salford. It's grey, it's grim, Dave. It's raining. I'm guessing it's probably the same in Stirling, is it? Uh, uh, grim up north. It's <laughs> very cold. <laughs> nice and cold. Yeah, definitely. Great to have you on, pal. Uh, you, you have the floor, so it's over to you. What, what would you like to say? Yeah, I'm really surprised I got in, actually. Uh, this morning, I had a very strange experience. Uh, I had a meter issue with my electric box in the house. And I've got a council house, so I phoned the council to come in and have a look at their electrician. So the guy comes in, and he's fiddling about and doing what, he, what they do. And he goes, oh, you, you probably need a new box here. And I'll order up a new smart meter. And I said, well... To tell you the truth, Paul, I'm quite happy with the prepayment non-smart meter that I've got. Oh, she's like, what is that? And I says, well, I says, basically, I don't agree with the smart situation. I don't like it. I'm quite happy with what I've got at the Good moment, man. you know. And he, he wasn't aware of this at all. And the guy kept at me and he was going, what's the problem with it? He, I said, well, look at, for example, your smart fridges and things like that. I says, well, why would they want to know what's in your fridge? She says, that's a great idea. She says, they, they can, your fridge can reorder your groceries <laughs> before you need And I goes, like, well, I don't want them knowing what I've got in my fridge. Yeah. And she says, uh, why would they need to know what's in your fridge? And he says, well, he says, they don't know exactly what you've got in your fridge. And I says, well, you've just defeated your, your, your point there. And I says, you see, they reorder everything for you. I says, if they don't know what's in your fridge, why would they be able to reorder it? That's right. And he's got <clears throat> you're a tinfoil hat wearer. He did well. To be to be quite truthful, pal, I says I get a better reception on my telly than I do. But <laughs> <laughs> that sense of humour just went totally over his head. And he was then he said we were going to do the, the X Files and conspiracies and I goes, well, I had to actually eventually kind of open my front door and say to him, Cheerio bye. Dave, <laughs> Dave, Dave, tell me tell me this, Dave. Tell me this. How can they not see it? I mean, you articulately, eloquently explained it to him. They will know what I am buying. Why would I want anybody to know what I am buying? That is my business. How could he not see that, this electrician? How could he not see it? Well, they're educated people. I mean, they're not stupid they're electricians to get to that level. But it's saying that who the council employs, that, that's debatable. Eh? Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't get a job anywhere else, I suppose. Yeah. But... 
what I'm saying is they're supposed to be intelligent people, but I think there's a, a mass blindfolding or is it scared? Are they frightened of what's going on with them in reality? That they just don't want to go down that rabbit hole? I think I you're mean, I think you're on to something. I think more can see it than will admit it, Dave, because because admitting it or even saying it out loud it's nerve-wracking. Like, I remember, well, I'll ask you in a minute, I'll be interested in your own experience, but I remember when I saw through it, and that was the mid-2000s, I was pretty shook up by it, really, when I realised what was going on. I don't know about you, when, when you figured it out, you know, did it leave you a bit uneasy for a bit? Well, it was, one of your previous callers said that you watch an the programme, I mean, I watch, like, the, your Good Morning Brit just for the, the crack, as you, you see yourself, for watching Richard Madeley. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's pure quality, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the, some of the stuff he comes up with. But when you, you, you see that level of, of it, and then you say, wait a minute, they're just not asking the right questions, or is it in purpose, or is it... And then they're not getting the right people on, or if they do, they're, they're quickly shut down. Yeah. You see, so when, people bound to be able to see it, but I think they're so engrossed in these programmes they've, they've gave so much of their time into it that they've got to believe everything these people say. It's funny you say it this. Be- During the last three years, only one journalist engaged me and it was Ian Dale at LBC and he engaged me for a few minutes and then he blocked me but he did engage me for a few minutes and I asked him about LBC's policy of not interviewing the scientists from the Barrington Declaration, you see. And he came back at me basically saying, tinfoil hat wearers, blah, blah, blah. And I asked him how he felt he was qualified to determine that an Oxford University scientist like Carl Hennigan is somehow less, um, you know, uh, that his qualifications are less qualified than the blokes that you bring on to say that we should lock everybody down and all of that. And I said, if you call yourself a journalist, and of course he isn't a journalist, he's a former politician, how can you justify saying to one scientist, no, no, you don't get to go on air, uh, but yet you do. Surely as a journalist, that must be insane to you. And he couldn't answer it, so he went to... And that's the only question I would ask him. If I ever got to meet James O'Brien, if I ever got to meet um, Jeremy Vine, I would say, how can you go to bed at night knowing that you played such a big part in keeping qualified men and women off the airwaves? And that's what they did, Dave, didn't they, for the first two... They're well, that still, shows still the level it. of intelligence these people have got. Yeah. That the minute they, they come up with somebody can argue back on their, their way of putting things over, they can argue back to that. They, they, they fling the toys at the pram. Yeah, and block <laughs> yeah. cancel you out of the situation. They don't want that. They want you believing everything they say. And that shows a level of intelligence, me personally. The Scots, and look, I know this is a big old cliche, but the Scots and the Irish, and listening to Connor there a moment ago, were like, you know, historically we were, we were fierce people. We lived under occupation and we fought back against it. The, you know, you know, you, you know the names of the great Scottish heroes and and the Irish heroes and heroines, of course. Um, yep. I'd have thought there would have been more of a fight back in those countries, Dave, than there was. See, I, go I ahead. think because they're just happy to get through the day. If anything, they get you through the day. That was, a, to be quite truthful, that was a, a, a friend of mine who became a junkie later on in life and he died through it. But that was what he I asked him, why did you do this to yourself? 
and he says to get me through the day. Yeah. And I think by a lot of people now, it's just to get them through the day. But all the, the nonsense that they've been put through. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, I watched yeah. an interesting programme. It was on the Sky Documentaries. It was about the 2000s, right? It's a thing you'll get a repeat of later on tonight or tomorrow. And it was about the Bush, uh, W. Bush, George W. Bush administration, right? When he came in, right, he stole the election to start with. That Al Gore, he's a bigger idiot in climate change and all that. But he was actually, he actually won that election, right? But Bush got in, obviously, Daddy Bush, and all that, sorry, all that. Out. And it came to the 9 11. And the, 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 the falseness of it, we're playing there. But this programme has made me Tom Hanks as the producers, and they had a lot of input in it. So obviously, their government backing the pieces yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, and it went into detail about the Gulf War and all the rest of it. And I was saying the Americans were so scared of what happened in 9 11 that they probably believed anything that was, that was said. But there was big protests right across the world. And in America, that the government just said no, and they took all their powers away from them. A lot of powers with that Patriot Act. That's right. You know, the rest of it. Which it gave the, um, the powers that, it was scary what they took away from the American people. Well, they, they gave I mean? and they just they they gave themselves the right to enter somebody's home without ever telling them that they entered their home to search their property, and you're bang on. Set wire taps. Wire taps and you know, you mentioned how scared people were after September the 11th. They were because a lot of young men, well, you know, they were moved by it. They believed a lot of young men went straight into the military, didn't they? A lot of people signed up. They, it was a mad time. I remember looking back on it now. Crazy time, uh, mm. Dave. I'm going to take another call, Dave. Is there anything else you want to say yep. before we move no, on, buddy? Great talking to you, Richard. Oh, it's a pleasure. Good work up, mate. Well, thank, thank you, you very, very much. much for you do, pal. Uh, you're very thank welcome, you. and thanks for that uh, Telling us about that encounter with the electrician has made me choke. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for I that. Thought it might be, yes, mate, Brilliant, mate. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Dave and Sterling, great call again. Brilliant callers this evening. Lovely to meet Dave. Yeah. yeah the electrician just can't see it. Like, you know, oh, you've got a tinfoil hat on you, have you? No, I just don't think the government should know what I'm putting into my fridge. Nor should the government be telling me what it is okay and isn't okay to put into my fridge. You know? Let's um, do the jingle again. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Now, it's been ages since Scottish John was on. I can see he's trying to get through. It's been ages, so we'll get him on. I'll give you a call back, John, in a few minutes' time. But I am going back to the phones at the moment. Caller, welcome to the programme. Who am I speaking with, please? How's it, go- how's it going? It's Chris again from uh, up Lancaster Way. Uh, hello, Chris. Welcome back. You're not driving today. No, 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 no. I'm, yeah, fortunately not. No, I'm sat at home. Good man. Nice to have you back, Chris. Been a while, pal. What would you like to say? Yeah, um, well, I was going to say some more. Last time I called, I was, t- I was talking about the words and um, what have you, I was talking about presence and presence, if you remember. Yeah. Um, but your last caller, I, there's, there's a word thing about what he was saying there, um, where basically some of these, you know, kind of uh, people that we are taught to think of as intellectual and 
educated actually turn out to be, you know, they they just don't see things. They're they're, they're kind of idiots, really. Um, and the the word thing that's relevant to that is that fundamentally their mentality is funded, fundamental. Right. Which is a crazy word thing, isn't it? It you is know? a very unusual um, word when you think about it, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the, you know, it, so I speculate, you know, in the past, was the word fundamental kind of like created to describe what's going on that, you know, a lot of um, intellectual stuff is funded. It's just theories. If you go back to the Renaissance, we're looking at people like the the Bill Gateses of the day and the Rothschilds of the day were the uh, Medici family. And they funded a lot of Renaissance thinking, um, medicine, schools of history, learning, yeah. loads of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, is that the is that what the words are telling us from somehow back in the day? You know, as though we peasants created some of these words and, you know, we created the word fundamental to say all this mental, you know, and it's funny that we now we now say mental as in stupid and crazy. But, yeah. you know, this sort of mentality stuff, yeah, a lot of it is funded and it's just, you know, the, it's the good ruling stuff, class God, imposing God. theories suit them. Jordan Maxwell, rest in peace, God love him, would be very interested in that. I you, Listen, you might very well be onto something. I, I, I tell you what I, and I'm not disagreeing with you, I think you're probably right, to be honest. For me... I said this to Jean Anne, my mate Jean Anne, who I mention often. I said to her a couple of years ago, and she and she's a far brighter person than I am, uh, and she is really. And she said, "Wow, you might be onto something there, Richie." What it is is most people have never had any reason to distrust the state, particularly middle earners, yeah. middle income earners. I hate this middle class. I'm sure you hate it too, Chris. Working class nonsense terms, but but people who've always been comfortable and never had to worry too much about a few bob. They never had any reason to suspect any ulterior motives from the state and they've always trusted the state. So even when the state comes along and asks them to do something self-harming, they just do it, don't they, Chris? Close your business down so that granny won't catch a cold. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'll do that. And then they get angry with people who don't do it. So there's that too, I think, this never having had the state, whereas, whereas lads who came from pretty rough and tumble backgrounds like me, you know, we, we were often running away from the police and, you know, we could see that authority wasn't to be trusted. I reckon a lot of lower income people have seen through it, maybe than, than other groups of people. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? I could, yeah, I completely agree. You know, that's that's... In the darkest times of of the of what they call the plague, which sounds like a play, um, that that was my kind of like um, saving grace thing. That oh, at least you know some of some of us poor people have got our mistrust in the establishment and this hope that there's a whole load of people who are going to be sceptical here. Yeah, and and it turned out to be the case. You know, not completely. There were a lot of the middle-income earners, as you say, who did start to resist the whole play. But, yeah, it, it, uh, there, there, there is, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of hope in the fact that, you know, the people, the, the most maligned people 
have always had a mistrust. And, uh, you know, as soon as a big scam comes along, they can see we it. can see it much easier because we never trusted when we're, you know, or street people, should we say, um, when we were at school, we, we we didn't have that much trust in, in the posh teachers. You know, they were like, oh, yeah, they're all intellectual, but they haven't got a clue, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. You trust them, you know. So, Chris, Chris, before I take another call, let me ask you a question. Andy, at the beginning, it's been brilliant calls. I'm absolutely chuffed with the calls. Andy said at the beginning, the people won't accept the CBDC. That will be the line in the sand. They'll reject it like they did. I should know which country in Africa he was referring to. But uh, 1% only use it. Do you have that same hope? Like that when they say, hey, listen, we've gone cashless now, we've whatever, we've got this this uh, central bank digital currency, this digital pound or whatever, and it's a rules-based currency and all of that, and you've got to have the digital ID. Andy reckons at that point people will say, no way, Jose. What do you think yourself? Um... I'm not sure it'll be that clear cut, but yeah, I've got a little bit of hope in in that perspective. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Nigeria. Was it? Um, could be wrong. I could be wrong, <laughs> but um, yeah. In in yeah in in the West, where exactly the what you've described earlier, people have been reasonably well off, and the establishment hasn't come after them for generations. So that you know, that's where this kind of like trust in the whole stupid COVID scam um, comes from. And so, um, how can I put it? So it it might. I'm not as hopeful as he is, and you know, I would say, well, maybe in you know some of the the comfortable nations where they're comfortably numb and they can live with a happy lie. Yeah. Until it really hits them, they, they might accept it. Um, but yeah, it could be a it'll be a line in the sand in the sand for more people than the COVID scam was. Well, we'll be screaming so, from the rooftops about it, people like you and me, to to to, to shake we'll people out of their the slumber. Sorry, um, but then there might be another, you know, whole tranche of people. Say twenty percent of people resisted the COVID thing, most of them quietly. And then another twenty percent will resist the digital currency thing, or another forty percent or something. You know, it might. Who knows how it will play out? And I wonder if the, you know, the the elites themselves, you know, have actually, you know, are, are kind of know that they're living on a knife edge with it. If they're if they're very confident that they can pull pull this one off, it's their check. Um, it's their checkmate move. They've got to get it right because if they fail, it it well basically the whole thing fails. That's a great call, Chris. I'm getting hammered, so I'm going to take another call, buddy. Lovely to hear from you again. No worries. Yeah, have a good day. Thanks, Chris. You too, Chris. The Lancastrian. Brilliant call. Brilliant calls today. Twenty four minutes past the hour. It's, uh, what is it, Tuesday's Richie Allen Show, and uh, I'm Richie Allen. It's uh, time for the details again, although I don't think I need to do this again, but I'll do it one more time. It's your call. Skype. Chat with Richie. Or call 0161 818 2018. If you're calling from overseas, it's plus 44 161 818 2018. Talk to Richie now. Talk to Richie now. Let's. Stop. We've not had any ladies on today. We've had no ladies on. None. No ladies. Where are you, ladies? 
The details are pinned as well to the top of the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBG. Richie, back to the telephone calls. Caller, welcome to the programme. Who am I speaking with, please? Hi, it's Isabel from Totnes. Hello, Isabel from Totnes. <laughs> You've saved the day, Isabel. I thought we'd get through the whole show. No, ladies. Here you are. You're very I'm, welcome. I'm so nervous. Give um, over. Now, why were you nervous? <laughs> You're talking to me. We've known each other for um, years, you and me. Tell us, what's it like in Totnes as it, as, as it happens at the moment? I know Totnes well. What's it like? It's beautiful. It's beautiful in Totnes. We've been here two months. I have a new baby. Did um, I just hear the new baby in the background? Yeah, he's right here. His name is Sonny. Sammy. Sonny, like the sun. Oh, Sonny. Oh, God bless Sonny. God bless him. Yeah. I'm giving him my blessing here. I'm doing the sign of the cross. Maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, but that, that's, that, that sounds mental. So, so he's two months old, is he? Three? He's three months old, yeah. He was born on the solstice, actually. Oh, he's born on the solstice. And is he good? Is he quiet or is he getting you up all airs? He's all right, I think. I have nothing to compare it to, but I think he's all right. People tell me that he's a good baby, and I like him. That's all that matters, Isabel. Is that you like him? <laughs> well, listen, it's yeah. over to you. Um, don't be nervous. Thanks for calling in. It's lovely to hear okay. from you. So, so go ahead. What would you like to say? Yeah. Well, basically... I used to work in refugee camps in northern France and so I've been listening now to you for like a year maybe, a year and a bit and and I love everything and then I also have this part of me that worked in the refugee camps in northern France in, in the jungle and for people who are trying to come over to the UK and so I wanted to kind of talk about things that I know from personal experience about refugees, about people coming over here because they're not they're really not the enemy yeah. um i think they're they're the people who are also you know that they're, they're being faced with the same things from governments who are like far more dictatorial than 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 they are here or maybe just more obviously so um and from our own governments you know and 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 i was i was living and working in refugee camps in northern france not like um professionally not with the un just as a volunteer for yeah for organizations and I know people in hotels in the UK I don't know about like I I completely understand people's you know this country is so messed up in the UK as well and and there's there's not and and that's not fair and it's and it's and it's really bad here it's really bad for us we don't have much money um but it's really not those people who are coming over it's not their fault you know that people ask why they want to come to the UK and it's Lots of them speak English. Lots of them have family here. Um, they get like 10 quid a week from the hotels to live on. I, I know people, they struggle so badly here. People kill themselves in the hotels. It's, it's not nice for them either, you know. Um, their country is unlivable. No one would come over here in small boats on the channel. Do you want to go in a small boat on a channel? No. Yeah. Um, no one would come over here if they didn't have to. Um it's just that, yeah, I think that they're also, they're just us, you know, they're fighting their own Isabel, Isabel, their own stay, stay with this, this is really important. Now, you mentioned the jungle, so if I am right, the jungle is in Calais, right? Yeah, yeah. And we've seen some awful images of, of that place over the years on, on, on TV and on news and stuff. And you were, yeah. you were basically mixing day in, day out as a volunteer with, with uh, these people. Tell us about one yeah. or two of these people. What? 
sorts of people are they and what sort, sorts of conditions are they? I mean, you've, you've talked about dictators and places that are far more authoritarian, but um, yeah. it's easy. For, people don't see this. And again, yeah. the media has a lot to do with this. They're also fleeing places that are in ruins because of the actions of our own government here. And we exactly, can't ever forget yeah. that. But t- talk to us about being there and what t- sorts of people you were meeting there. So I'm half Lebanese and my my grandma came over from a war. So she was a refugee. She went to Sweden and then my mum came over here. And um, and so I had this like desire in 2016 to go to northern France to help. And in that, at that time, the jungle was 10,000 people. Um, and it was all kinds of people, lots of Syrians, lots of Afghans, lots of Libyans, lots of people who have been directly affected by our governments, like you said, yeah. um, and mainly young men. And people question, you know, <clears throat> why it's young men. But really, the journey that they have to take is so, so bad. You know, people have to go across the Mediterranean and in boats and, and loads of people are so traumatized. Um, and you wouldn't send your wife and kids on a boat you know you wouldn't send them on that journey so when they ask you know why why it's all young men that's why because it's you want to go first as a young man get to the uk and then try and get your family establish a base legally establish a base and what you just said there by the way young men you're making a an excellent point there is nothing in their own countries for them nothing and no. I've mentioned on this programme before, I've always tried to be fair with this. I, I've never blamed the migrants, ever. I, I think you know no, that. You I wouldn't know. listen otherwise. The migrants are doing yeah, nothing yeah. wrong. It's, it's governments yeah. destroying public services by underfunding them and undermining them. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and, and so people they just lose their minds. And so the easiest person to shout at then is the migrant because you can't get anywhere yeah. near your politicians. You can't get anywhere exactly. near the legislators. So these young men, there's yeah. nothing for them. And they come over here, yeah. I'll establish a base and I'll send for my family exactly and so I was I was there for like two years working um and people are living like now there's no big jungle it's just um they call it like makeshift camps on the BBC and stuff it's just uh like patches of land where people have tents staying there all winter and people I mean people people go insane people people who are there for too long lose their minds like really it's horrific and and there's no legal route for them. There's no, you know, people ask why maybe they are all in Calais, but these are the last people who have made it to France and who haven't stopped in countries before, you know. Right. So some people have stopped in Spain, some will have stopped in Italy, some will have stopped along the way. And then these are the last people who want to get to the UK. And at the time I was working there last time, it was like a thousand people probably um, living in tents in northern France. Um, and and there's no legal route for them. There's, there is there's no office you can go to to uh, apply for in, um, to apply for uh, asylum for the UK in any other country. You you can't do it. You have to come to the UK to be able to do that process. You are right. I, I, did, I did look into yeah. this. Yeah. Can I yeah. ask you a question no. on this? I'm I'm not in any way trying to um, speed you no, along no, now. Okay. But look, I've got to be fair to the fact that there are listeners listening to this and they're going to say, right, love Isabel, love what she's about, can't argue with any of it. But is is Isabel ignoring that there are really serious cultural differences 
you know, particularly with some. Now, I hate this yeah. this generalizing. No, I hate no, I get it. it. But there, there, yeah, there yeah. are problems with some young men and the way they yeah. view Western women. And this has caused problems. So some listeners will say, what, what would you say to that? That Don't people have a right to be concerned that so many young men from different cultures are here and we don't know what they think of women. We don't know what they think of young girls. Yeah. Um, what yeah. would you say to people who, who've, who've got those concerns? Well, okay, I mean, I don't know. I, like Anything I say, I might get in trouble for in, from different sides. But I feel like, you know, most of these people come from a Muslim country, most of them, because I speak Arabic and most people in the refugee camps were speaking Arabic. So they're from like uh, East Africa yeah. and from Northern Africa and from the Middle East. And in Islam, the woman is respected. I mean, I have experienced like bad things in the UK with men and I'm not trying to make this, in, like I, I know people will probably no, no, say I hear you. Absolutely. about it. But like, I, I really, when I was there, I would, there are bad people anywhere. There really are bad people anywhere. And in, in all the time I was working there, I've had like, I've had a couple of bad experiences, mainly from people who are really angry at the way we were trying to give people aid. So maybe some violence directed at our car, but it's sort of like keeping a thousand men really mentally unwell in the winter in a small space, you're going to have people who are really angry, really angry. Yeah, I get that. It was not ever to do really with gender or sexual advances from men. Um, it does happen. It happens anywhere, really. But what I did find was that people, if you are, so in northern France, they're woken up every 24 hours at, in the morning to move their tents outside of uh, like they kind of get kettled in and they have to move all of their tents outside of the line of police every day in the morning. So whether that's really raining, they have to get out of their tent and do that every day. And they live with the same men and they get food that's shoddy and they don't have, you know, people are up to their ankles in water and freezing cold and they're still polite. <clears throat> you know, every time I go there, they, they respect you. If you respect people then they will respect you you know it's that they're just people and because i speak arabic it's a different culture they're much yeah. uh, again i'm going to be generalizing but they're they're loud they're loud and they can seem kind of like obnoxious or, but it's not that at all and and it's just another cultural difference. And you mentioned three countries. Yeah. You mentioned Syria, you mentioned Afghanistan, you mentioned Libya, yeah. and you could have mentioned yeah. Iraq. Now, our, the, the yeah, intelligence Iraq agencies and Iran. That, and Iran and the intelligence agencies of our governments and the politicians of our governments have laid waste to those countries and have killed millions yeah. of people there uh, to leave the countries in the state <laughs> they're in. Men have nothing to do. Uh, they they are going to do what these men are doing, and I don't blame them at all. And and for me, yeah. the tragedy is, is that I mean, I used to be very aware of Isabel years ago. I would get into a taxi in Manchester, and um, yeah. often the driver would be an African driver, and I was amazed yeah. at how clued in African men were about what's going on. You know, the horrible agendas. Yeah. They were so clued into it, and we have a situation now where this government, <laughs> this government is. Um, and, and it's not just this government, it's an agenda. It's, 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 we, we put so many different names on this agenda. But mass moving mm -hmm. people around the world through genocides, through wars yeah. of aggression, 
and I believe it's a divide and conquer agenda. And in yeah, come these yeah. young men, and mm. you can't get an appointment. You've got issues getting your kids into school. You've got the cultural mm-hmm. sensitivities. And rather mm-hmm. than turn your gaze on the people responsible for it, which is the politicians yeah. and the NGOs and all of that, it's much easier mm-hmm. to just other or demonise the the uh, the yeah. immigrant. I know this, and it's a it's mm. it's a merry go round, uh, Isabel. Yeah, I know. You know, and I, 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 I hate that the people who are asking questions about it are called Nazis or bigots. They're not Nazis. They're seeing their towns completely change overnight and yeah. they don't know what's going on. They're not Nazis. It's, it's, they're asking legitimate what, questions. What, what's hard is that when you're there and you're working yeah. for it, it's so bad that when you hear someone qu- questioning it, because I, I used to be like that. I used to say like, you know, I used to be an anti-fascist, and and, and it, it, it's like a mindset that kind of takes over because it's so bad, and it's like living in a horror story when you're there. You know, you see these people, and you just think, how could anyone turn these people away? How could anyone? You know, they are. They're human they are beings, the first and foremost. Kind of the most brutally not that I'm not trying to downplay people suffering here because I know people suffer here. Um, but these people are they're, they're the victims of the same thing and they say I mean I can tell you billions of stories of things of people and like their humanity in these places but Isabel I, can, I, can, one... I, can I read you two comments this is great it's great yeah. to get this balance from you I mean this by the way I'm really loving having you on let me read you two comments and I'll give yeah. you the final word and then I'll move on. But I can hear yeah. Sonny yeah. is rocking and rolling there in the background. <laughs> yeah, <it's hard. laughs> he, he sounds great. So Scottish Al says, the migrants don't have to come here. They choose to. The question is, why do they all want to come here? Is it because they have been yeah. told by NGOs and by pseudo charities that in this country, the streets are paved with gold? They all seem to think that they will be given a house benefits, healthcare and education. And the final comment, Busy says this, all the lovely young asylum-seeking men staying at her largest city centre hotel are protesting over the free food they're getting. Meanwhile, across the road, we have locals sleeping on the street. So what about the person who says, we have people on the streets because they can't afford to feed themselves. Um, We should be looking after them. We shouldn't be spending millions on housing. Um, men who have come from Albania, for example, or elsewhere, we should prioritise our own. Those are two genuine comments. What would you say to those? So the first one was about why they're coming here. And it's because culturally, you know, the the East has kind of like taken taken their culture from the West. They kind of see the West as like this beacon of civilization and that no one's racist and they do have lots of money. It's not NGOs that are telling that because when I'm there, I will say, don't go. You know, it's not the way that you think it is over there. You're going to have it rough in the UK. Um, it can be years before they actually get asylum. They can't work. If they were allowed to work, they could actually, like, uh, benefit the society. Because we have, we need jobs. Like, people, there are jobs, you know. There actually are jobs um, for these people. But they're not allowed to work. They have to be living on the government. Um, but I would tell them in northern France, just stay in France or go, go somewhere else. But it, the life is kind of sold to them through movies, through literature. Um, right. They really think that this is the, that they'll, they'll be welcomed. I met a man who fell off the side of um, 
a train track trying to jump on a train to get to the UK and he cut his leg off he cut his leg off and um, I went to visit him in hospital he hadn't told his wife back in Syria um, that his leg had been cut off and he said if I tell the UK government will they let me in now right. now that I've lost my leg and I said no you know they, they, there's no one to call you have no chance no Isabel can, 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 I, can I jump in listen if you want to come back on and talk to me on um, the regular show at a time when you've got it, when you when you've got a bit of time, I yes, would be sorry. interested in. Pers- no, 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 no! Don't be apologising to me. I'd be interested in pursuing this with you in a proper interview. But, but I want to ask you a quick question, and if you can if you can give us a quick answer, if you don't mind. Yeah. What about yeah. those who say, and I get this from people I know, and I don't believe they're racist. What about people who say, Richie, the the country is changing demographically dramatically. Yeah. And this is hugely problematic. It's problematic for the soul, for the spirit of any nation to have its demographics turned upside down like that so yeah. quickly. Like a city the size of Cardiff, you know, coming every year, people of colour from different parts of the world. That has a significant yeah. impact on the society and on the existing culture. Yeah. So somebody says, I'm concerned about that. Let's say they're not a yeah. racist. How do we respond to that? What do we say? It's, it's something that that I understand completely. I, I do understand. I'm, I'm half English and half Arabic, and, and I think culture should be, you know, like uh, celebrated. That 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 can still happen. That doesn't have to, you know, that doesn't have to be lost just because of incoming people. You know, how beautiful it are like Asian, Asian British people. That culture is is lovely. That that they've kind of. Like, right, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, right? Because we're we're hearing a lot of Sonny. That's no problem. No, hang on, hang on. Tell you what I'm going to do. I've made a note of your number. Um, this has been a fantastic call. I'd like to have you back on. So I'm going to get in touch with you tomorrow and arrange for you to come back on for a chat. I'm too scared to call normally, but because he wasn't here, I thought, you know, I'm going to do it. You'd have a go, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we, we, yeah. We, 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 we can arrange it. We can pre-record it or something, because I would like to get that perspective from you. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Really, no, don't apologise. It's been brilliant. <laughs> but um, he's obviously starving now, is he? Or he's just a bit cranky. He, he wants to go to bed. Yeah. He, he wants to go to, to bed, to yeah. He wants to be on the show, I think. But look, your experiences are really important. Uh, the, the time you spent in Calais and what you saw there. And I, I look, look, I agree with you. We're talking about human beings here. Number one. Yeah. The same as yeah. us men and women with arms and legs and hearts and 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 souls and 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 yeah. uh, problems and they have ambitions i totally get you and they're coming from places that um our governments have destroyed bombed them back to the stone yeah. age so uh, yeah. yeah but i also see the desperation of people in you know small communities when all of a sudden 200 people turn up and that has a huge impact and i totally yeah. understand and they have a right to complain about that so um mm-hmm, yeah. yeah i don't yeah. i don't know where we but uh, we, we should explore this again, Isabel. Yeah, well, thanks for talking. No, thanks for yeah. ringing up, and I'll be in touch. Yeah, all right. Bye. Thanks, Isabel. Bye for now. Um, that's some call that from Isabel, who spent time in the jungle in Calais, which at one time had 10,000 people there. Um, nice to get the other side of that. It's 16 and a half minutes to the top of the earth. It's been a while since we heard from John in Austin in Texas. Welcome, John. How are you doing, pal? All right, Richie. Great to talk to you again, mate. Good to have you back on. It's been a long time, mate. Um, I know. I was having trouble with my Skype for some reason, but I think I finally got it fixed. What do you What do you reckon to... Um, so Isabel says, I work with these people in Calais. These are real people. Um, well, Richie, I've I've thought for quite some time now because I, I uh, 
I sort of pay a lot, maybe too much attention to to things like this uh, because I've always been politically interested. Um, at my ripe old age of 72, I'll be 73 in July. I mean, I've finally reached the, <laughs> the, the awakening that politicians, they're just a bunch of useless arseholes. Yeah. And the last thing they want to do is anything that's going to benefit us. And I think... It's been in the it's been in the works for a long time, and this is just my opinion, but I think they're driving us towards as dystopian a world as they can possibly create. Absolutely, they don't want us. They don't want us living in peace and harmony. And one of the ways and, they're doing it clearly, John, is through the weaponization of migration. This is one of the ways they're doing it because yes. you've got legitimate the guys coming from the countries that were bombed into the Stone Age by the UK and the United States. They've got nothing, so they think. Exactly. I'll tell you what. I'll go and I'll have a go in England. Right, yeah. most of these guys will, will will be okay. There there will be some, uh, you know, there will be some problem kids in there. There's no doubt about that. Right, I said this to Isabel, but in they come. Then you've got people living in places like Tremor, which is where, where Waterford. This happened years ago, uh, seaside town in Waterford, and they dump a couple of hundred young men from Africa in there. There's problems. All of a sudden, it gets a bit more difficult to see your GP. All of a sudden, there's a housing issue. Um, these are genuine concerns. These are not racist. They're just saying, hang on a second. What have you done? You've just thrown a bomb into the middle of our community. And, yeah. um, and, and the people who are behind the agenda you just so brilliantly described sit there rubbing their hands with glee as two sides kill one another. You're a dirty, rotten racist. Oh, well, you're a Paki, or you're a this, or you're a that. Uh, well, you're just a fascist. And the people behind the agenda just go, happy days, John. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember years ago, I read something called The Report from Iron Mountain. And it was all these talking heads, apparently, had gotten together. And the conclusion of their meeting was that they, they couldn't foresee a world that they could control without war. There always had to be war. And I remember when I finished reading that, I thought, bloody hell, that's uh, that's very comforting. But yeah. um, quick, quickly before I, I know I'm, I'm never I never have enough time to talk about all the things I want to talk about. But you mentioned Van Bridge there earlier on. Yeah, I remember back in '69 when I my mother and father had split up, and my mother was from Lurgan, and she'd moved back home. And after a couple of months, I decided I would go and join her, and so. I'm living in Lurgan and uh, get a job in a factory. And what they had was on, on a Friday night, there was a bus that would leave Lurgan to go through to the dance hall in Banbridge because apparently we didn't have anything in Lurgan like that. So me and my girlfriend hop on this bus with a bunch of other folks and we go through there and the thing finishes and we come back out to get on the bus. Well, it kicked off, Richie, and I think every window in that bus got smashed. <laughs> I escaped unscathed, thank God. But we get back to Lurgan, and me and my girlfriend were setting off to, for me to take her home. And we're walking down this, we're approaching this, I think it was Edward Street. Uh, it's a street that leads out of Lurgan down towards Portadown. And the next thing I know is I'm getting the shit kicked out of me. There's a bunch of guys jumped me. And it's they didn't know what religion I was. They thought because of the direction I was walking that I was heading to Portadown. So they figured because I was from Portadown and they'd been at it in Banbridge, they were going to get their revenge on me. They thought so you they were set a, about me. They thought you were a proddy. Well, here's here's funny. Do you know what? When I when I did go over there, I used to get that all the time. So because I was obviously Scottish, 
they wanted to know was I a Rangers fan or a Celtic yeah, fan. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I would always say, no, I support the Shire, mate. Fantastic. What? The who? I say, East Stirlingshire, my local team in Falkirk. you got Falkirk, they're a big team, and in East Stirlingshire, we call them the Shire. And uh, the reason we love them is because they sometimes have trouble putting a team together. And if you took your boots along with you on a Saturday, you might get a game. Yeah. Get a game. <laughs> and they were by, but they, they didn't have a follow-up question. Well, no. I've asked them the Rangers Celtic question. How the hell do we find out if he's a Billy or a Mickey? Yeah. And you <laughs> know, coming from Mexico, which is what they refer to the Republic of Ireland as, they, they call you Mexicans. They, they, they might ask you, and the answer would always be, if you say Manchester United or Liverpool, you couldn't go wrong, really. Yeah. You know, once once you're not following one of the, they're not sectarian teams, but they have sectarian uh, supporters. Funny incident. It's not funny. Violence isn't funny. But the women played the old firm derby the other evening, and one of the Rangers coaches headbutted the Celtic manager, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the proper, oh, the proper. God. Yeah. The, the, but listen, let me ask you this because time, the program time is running out anyway. I want to ask you. Um. So the shooting then that, that happened, right? In in this latest one, I think in in Arizona they're saying it's a, a woman who who did it. Do you notice around you? I, I mean, is all the talk now is 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 the discourse dominated now by talk about gun control stuff and you know do we need to bring in more uh, stricter controls on what guns people can own and who can own guns? Is that a conversation you're hearing at the moment? I didn't. Did I ever ask you? Did you buy a gun? Have you a gun? No, I would I would never buy a gun. But I tell you what, and I said this years ago, and I'll stand by it, I would defend to my death the right for an American to own a gun because the Constitution gives them that right. Yeah. But I have to agree with something you said earlier, Richie, and it's a point of view I've had for a long, long time. When the government do come for their guns, it's not going to be the gunfight at the OK Corral yeah. or a scene from high noon. They're going to be coming with stuff that's just going to obliterate you in a heartbeat. So, yeah. Yeah. If it does come anyway, listen. Let me t- let me take one of one of the main things I wanted to tell you about. You're always you're always talking about Dolly. I know you're a big Dolly fan. Love Dolly, yeah. Well, a couple of years before I came over here to live, I uh, decided I was coming over for a holiday, and I was going to go to Nashville. And I had a band in London at the time, and my bass player was a Canadian guy, and his wife worked with Canadian airlines, and they used to get a lot of free flight free flights. And he says, no, don't go to Nashville, John. Go to Austin. So I flew into Austin, and uh, I met an English guy. The first night I was here, I'd gone to a bar, and we, we got chatting, yada, 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 and we met up the next day to uh, to go out for a drink and what have you. And uh, so I wanted to go. I found this magazine with all these country artists listed in it, and there was an 800 phone number. So I want to see Waylon Jennings. So I find out that Waylon Jennings is playing in Dollywood in a couple of nights' time. And this guy was going home for the weekend to visit, to, to be with his wife. And he dropped me off in Little Rock, Arkansas. So I got a Greyhound bus that takes me as far as Knoxville. And then I need to get out to Pigeon Forge. So I'm standing at the side of the road, thumbing a lift, and a guy picks me up and he takes me down the road a while. And... Uh, drops me off outside a cafe. So I get grab something to eat. I come back out and I'm standing at the side of the road thumbing. And this other young fella picks me up and uh, he actually drove me all the way to Dollywood. So I'm going in and by this time I'm hungry again and I'm looking for a place to eat. I'm walking around 
and I'm walking past what turns out to be the theatre where Whalen's going to be playing, and I hear Whalen's voice, and I'm thinking, Jesus, that's weird playing him before his show. And I'm walking around, I says, I can't find anywhere to eat, everything's shut. Well, I didn't know, no one had said to me, going from Texas over to Tennessee, you go through that time zone and you're into a zone that's an hour ahead of Texas. Right. Yeah. Well, I'd missed half the damn show, which really pissed me off. I wanted to meet Waylon because I brought my guitar with me for him to autograph. John, what's this got to do with the Great Reset, to be honest? You're supposed to laugh there. Go on, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? This is a conspiracy radio show. What the hell is this, John? Anyway, I am interested. Go on. Well, it's just because you're a Dolly fan and the story contains Dollywood. That's why I thought I'd tell you. But you didn't but, get to, uh, but but so you so you missed what most of the Jennings show or did you see it? Yeah, I missed I missed half the show. So I came out of there and I just wanted to get the hell out of there. I was so pissed off. So I jumped on these. They have these wee buses. They're called armadillos. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. took me back down into Pigeon <laughs> Forge, and I just want to get the hell away. And I'm standing at the side of the road with my thumb out. Well, it so happened they had what they call a car show going on that night as well all these people that own nice vintage cars they drive up and down what they call the drag for a few hours that night and as i'm standing there like an idiot because there's all these bloody cars they're just going a couple of miles down the road and turning around and coming back so this cop car stops and has a word with me and says you know sir um it's not like in the movies anymore people don't really do this i says well i'm doing it because i just want to get the hell out of here right finally i get picked up by a young couple who actually had gone to York University and they dropped me at the interstate highway heading back into Knoxville. So I say to myself, well, I'm not going to stand here like an idiot again. I'm just going to keep walking until I see a car come up, stick my thumb out and hopefully get picked up. So I'm walking and walking and walking in. All of a sudden, I see this light go on in the forest there. This was a dense forest down the side of the bloody highway. I see these lights come on and all these voices yelling at me and I just wave back high, keep walking. A couple of minutes later, this bloody truck pulls up. It must have been a a track that brought them closer to the side of the road. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, if you're going to shoot me, make it a clean bloody hit, will you? (laughs) And right then, this old raggedy truck stopped on the highway and picked me up and uh, dropped me down in, in, in Knoxville. And you know what I remembered at the end of it? Back in London, in my local, there was a girl, barmaid, worked in there. She was from Knoxville. And she says, if you need any help, here's my father's number. Give him a call. I'd completely forgotten all about that. So you didn't have the number on you to give her old man a, a bell? I, I did, but I just, just I'd forgot forgotten all about it. I got uh, this guy dropped me at a service station in Knoxville. The, the bloke in there kindly gave me a cup of coffee and he called a cab for me, took me to the Greyhound bus station and I was on my way to Nashville. But uh, Did you keep a diary? Because I'm out of time now. I'm going to have to close the programme. Did you keep a diary with you over the years? Did you write all this stuff down? No, I just memorised it, mate. No, no, no. no th- th- yeah. No, I, 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 your, your memory's not gone. You obviously remember it. But um, because I, I know you've, you've travelled extensively in the States and, and elsewhere. It's something that um, would be worth a read, I reckon, John. 
some of these mm-hmm. adventures. I'm out of time anyway. I'm, I've, I've got to close the programme down now. Good to hear from you again, Paul. It's been a while. All right, mate. All the best. And mind yourself, John in Austin in Texas there, but obviously it's Scottish, John. He's not He's not a Texan. That's it for the programme. Thanks to all the callers. Brilliant calls today. Loved it. Really appreciate it. We'll do another one of these next week. I'm back with you tomorrow. That would be Wednesday. It's a weird week because of yesterday and me not being on with you yesterday. Back Wednesday, tomorrow Wednesday at 5 o'clock UK time. I will have guests. Lots of uh, lots of interesting stuff to talk about, no doubt. This programme will be available now on Podomatic.com and on the usual streaming services. You look after yourselves and one another and enjoy the rest of your evening. Closing out with this from Queen. Tonight I'm gonna have myself a real good time. I feel alive.